guidance and, and clues this morning of how we're to use what you have given to us, our bodies, ourselves, our souls, for your kingdom and your glory. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I've given uh, a handout here, and like last week, um, instead of giving you the actual, uh, you know, nuggets of wisdom and insight, I gave you the Proverbs. Because really, part of our task is to study and to look at and say, hey, what does each individual proverb, or what do the Proverbs talk about when they talk about these topics? If I just gave you the nuggets, you wouldn't learn. We, we would not advance as much in analyzing and studying and understanding what the Bible says about these really uh, annoying topics. You know, that's part of the issue for us is that we don't like to discuss these sort of things. Or we come to it with a very simplistic view that, hey, you know, God wants me to be happy, therefore I should get money. Or we read, for example, you know, we, we, read, uh, we read things, things like this. Uh, those who work their land will have abundant food. Huh, all right, so you just work and you'll have a lot of stuff. Seems to be easy. Of course, we've covered before how you cannot simply take one proverb and go with it. You have to look at the whole of the whole of Proverbs, the whole of the Bible, really. But today, we don't have time to do all that, so we're just going to look at and kind of compare and contrast some things about our wealth and our work, our stuff and our time. Let's begin here with, with a very basic point that wealth is a good. Wealth is good. That's what the Bible says. We have it right here. Uh, we looked at this the first week of our class, Proverbs chapter 8. The very first verse on there, your handout. I love those who love me. Those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. Who's talking there? It's classic chapter of the Bible. Proverbs 8. Who's the I? Who's saying that? Wisdom. Yeah. So wisdom is defined, is connected to money, riches, wealth, honor. Proverbs is filled with references to economics, to our money, to our cash. Now we'll see that the dangers of wealth are big. There are great dangers, but wisdom is a great good. Wisdom, self-control, wisdom, self-knowledge. If you can see your investment strategy and you can say, look, I'm going to put this in, this money in my savings. I'm going to work this hard for this amount. You're going to generally be more prosperous. With me are riches. And yet, <clears throat> in the very next verse that I have for you, 10.22, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. Key factor here of priorities. There is, along with wealth, there is the fact that work can involve painful toil. It can involve the hard work the life-crushing sorrow. You know people who are working too hard. You know there's such a person as someone who works too much? Life-crushing sorrow of overwork. See, the wise person, the one who has good wealth, the one who uses wealth well, is the one who plans their work out. I hate to use this example, but <clears throat> because my father grew up in the corporate world, he uh, loved the comic Dilbert. And the one character in Dilbert was, was notable for this one saying, work smarter, not harder. That can be misused, of course, to, to slough off work. But that's really what the Bible says. You are to work smarter, 
not harder. You are to plan how to work. The wise person does not simply do painful toil for the sake of it, but the wise person works hard and allows the and plans and allows the Lord to do what he will with it. Wealth, therefore, is a great good, but wealth is not the best. Wealth is a great good, but wealth is not the great best. That's not even a phrase, but I just made it up. All right? It's not a great good, but it's not your greatest good, if you want to put it that way. Not your summum bonum. It's not the end of all things. Now, I'm sure you've seen in your life people who rely upon painful toil to get rich. People who do not rely upon the blessing of the Lord. People who are workaholics. They may have money, but they're never satisfied with it. They always have to have more. That's, so therefore, wealth is a good, but it's not the best. It's not a great, not the greatest thing of all. Any questions on that? And again, as I mentioned at, our, at the start of this, we have a uh, meddling topic this morning. We're going to get into things that we don't like to talk about, right? Wealth and uh, how the Bible says we are to use it. Any questions? All right, we'll, we'll move on then. Um, <clears throat> wealth is a good, but it's not the greatest good. Second, Proverbs talk, talks to us about how we are to work. It talks about h- how we are to work and hopefully work well. This is 28.19. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. What does it mean, do you think, to chase fantasies here? What would that look like in terms of work? What's the kind of person who chases a work-based fantasy? Right. Don't fantasize. Part of fantasy is to say, I can get rich quick. Great. What else? This is 28, for example. 28, uh, verse, <clears throat> verse 23. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters when I'm, I'm sorry, 25, a greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Right? Part of fantasizing about wealth is simply the idea of being greedy. If you are greedy, you will think about money all the time. You'll be obsessed with it, and that will ruin the relationship you have with people. It can do that. Verse 22, 28, 22, a stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. A stingy man. It's interesting. Part of the fantasy is actually not just greed, but stinginess. If you are stingy with your money, one of the basic principles we're going to see today is that there's a great call in Scripture, especially in Proverbs, to be generous. The opposite of the generous heart is the stingy heart. If you're stingy with what you have, the Bible says you you run after wealth, but you also don't know that you'll be poor eventually. If you're not generous, if you're stingy, one day you will actually become poor. Again, these are general principles, not absolute laws. So what we have here is a picture of work. Those who work their land 
have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. Getting rich quick, greed, stinginess. Of course, we can, we can look here as well at uh, gambling, playing the lotto, uh, very popular ways that we have in our day. Uh, the kind of sins that we don't really talk about, but um, part, of, part of the issues that we face as those who have to, have to work. Um, let me move on here then. 26.10, like an archer who wounds at random is one who hires a fool or any passerby. Part of working well in the Bible is realism. You have to be realistic about people. This is one that typically we say, yes, thank you. I like that. I want to be real about people. And, and there's, there's truth here. Wealth can come through hard-nosed, deliberate, careful realism. So, for example, if you look at um, 27, 23, and 24, which I have here in your handout, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. We also don't have flocks. Most of us, some of us do have flocks and herds. And go out and examine the cows and the calves and all that. But look at what, what the uh, principle is. For riches do not endure forever, and a crowd is not secure for all generations. The point is that uh, you should not be smug about your wealth. Part of the danger of wealth is not just uh, lacking realism, but being smug about it. There's a smugness that can occur when you say, I've done it. I've got the money. Of course, I think many of y'all were around in 2008 when the markets crashed and the mortgages had their problems. Not everybody anticipated that one. Hard times may come that you cannot control. You're not the Federal Reserve. I'm not either. We cannot control the national level, the interest rates, the social issues. We can't control that. And so realism says, Know your own stuff. Know your own flocks. Know your own uh, source of income. What's interesting here, of course, in this uh, 2610, it's not just a fool. I think everybody knows that you don't want to hire somebody who's a fool, but there's also this language of a passerby. What does that mean? That means, in other words, just employing somebody without performing due diligence, without doing background checks, without talking to references, without getting an accurate picture. Wisdom combines both this classic realism with the reality that ultimately God gives it all. God gives you wealth. So the Bible combines good business practices with the reality that God is the giver of everything. That's, that's a really interesting way of putting things together because I think in our world, we like the realistic business practices. We know what's good business sense. But our danger is that we forget that God is the one who gives the blessing. That's what Paul says. That's what Paul says the way the New Testament church works. You know, I planted Apollos, water, God gives the growth. God gives the spiritual growth. God also gives the economic, the physical growth as well. And yet we are called to be realistic. Questions on any of that? Yes, sir. Absolutely. You can be as clever and, and kind of, you can know all the ways that Harvard teaches business practices and yet never account for God. Yeah, absolutely. Good point, Jim. Um, 
Last thing here on, on working well, uh, 22-29. Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. Now, this can be misused. Let me just be clear. This is one of the more misused texts you have. Somebody thinks they're a hotshot, and they say, oh, I'm not going to be under the lackeys. I'm not going to be a lowly slave or a servant. I'm, you know, this is uh, what people say before they go to get a raise, before they go in to get a promotion. They say, look at my job. They may be right. They may be wrong. But this verse is not used, should not be used as an absolute law to say, I demand, right? That's that pride thing we just talked about. However, there is a basic principle. Uh, this word skilled means experienced. And now, that doesn't mean that you've been working for 30 years in your job. It means, rather, uh, that you have the ability to uh, have high craftsmanship at your job. The ability to do such excellent work that kings and queens will be in demand, that people will look to you and want you. Um, and yet, just a few verses after that, 23 verse 4, we find this. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. There's a danger here in that we should not trust in simply working hard and simply being skillful. We are actually called to be discerning enough. Part of wealth is having the discernment to know when to stop. The discernment to not simply trust in your own skillfulness. And the lesson here is not to value success, but to value workmanship. The key point here, and this is what we see, I think, in um, craftsmanship. You know, we have one of our dining room chairs that needs to get fixed. It's a, and we've used it. Some of y'all have sat on it, and uh, not because of y'all, but because of us. It's uh, creaking a little bit. We need to get that repaired. What are we going to do? Well, I'm not going to repair it. You know what happened if I repaired it. It would not end well. I'm not a skilled craftsman. We're going to need to call somebody up. And you know what? They may take it to a workshop. They may, they may go and uh, have to fix it at their little carpentry place. I don't know. I'm not a, a carpenter. But I want somebody, and you want somebody who's skilled. And I would hope that they would take pride in their work. The same is true for all of us. Um, we are here to, to value. The Bible says value far more the skill at which you do something than the amount of money you get for it. It's what Paul says in Ephesians 6. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Of course, this is, this is the problem because for some of us, we feel like we're not doing skillful work. We're doing, you know, we're a cashier. We're, we're doing low-paying work. We're not, we're, we don't feel like we're really doing much at all. How do you connect that, this call to be skillful, with the reality of, uh, mundane, corporate, retail, boring, meaningless, seemingly work. How do you connect this call to be skillful with the fact that a lot of people, they're just working to get by? I don't have an answer for you, by the way. I'm, I'm curious to see what, what, what y'all's thoughts are. It's Christians. How do we connect the fact that God calls us to work skillful with the fact that, you know, ladies, many of y'all are just driving people around for half the day. 
What do you do with that? Very wise. That's good. That's good, Mike. If I can elaborate upon that, part of the goal is to have that God-centered vision of things. That you're that you're not simply working at you know the shop. You're not simply doing the scut work. You're not just vacuuming. It's a hard thing for me, by the way, when I vacuum. Because I just want to get it done. And we have plenty of dog hair that needs to be vacuumed up. It's a continual process. Um, but one of the things that allows me to not get so angry at it is to see that the work here is bringing order and bringing cleanliness to, to a home. It's resembling what God does with my soul. He brings, he cleans up my soul. Ought I not therefore to clean up what God's given to me? Greg. Absolutely. Absolutely. Two things. Best evidence in forms of work is when the garbage arrives in New York City. Sure, sure. The other is the concept Christians have that whatever skills we have are gifts from the Lord. And if we take pride in those things, we kind of like a book of ourselves. Yeah. You see the role here of, of character, don't you, Jim? Yeah. That's, that's very good. And I'm glad that neither of y'all mentioned how much money, you know, is made. Uh, I think we, we, we get so obsessed with, with the amount that we have, you know, and, and y'all pointed out really what's way more important, that you do it unto the Lord, that God's giving you these talents and that God blesses you. Yeah. Greg, I'm hesitant only because I have, there's a bit to cover, but I will let you. Go ahead. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He just may not provide what Americans call, uh, you know, comfortable. But we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a in a, in a, in a. Absolutely. Well, let me uh, let's move on then to, to kind of go into the more details about what, what it means for our wealth to be used by us instead of us being used by our wealth. One of the great dangers, of course, that we've kind of circled around already is the danger of wealth as an idol, wealth being looked to as uh, a great as opposed to a good. So uh, <clears throat> let, me, let me hit one thing here, 2120, section 3 in your outline. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. This is related to fantasizing, right? Gulping down money. The danger of windfalls. You know, your, your, your rich aunt dies and you get a lot of money in the inheritance. What are you going to do with it? Um, well, the wise store it up. The fools gulp it down. The kids who inherit money without earning it, 
uh, often gulp it down. We're, I think, what they, we're, we're in what they call the great transference or whatever. I don't, some of y'all may know this, right? Where one generation, the, the boomers are handing down their money to, I suppose, my generation. And the great question is, uh, what's going to happen with all that money? Uh, young celebrities, athletes, or, or gifted people, uh, you know, Zuckerberg and all the rest, Silicon Valley, uh, people who make fortunes in finance, technology, they run the same risk. This proverb suggests in, in 2120 that <clears throat> money earned over time is more likely to be cared for than if you get it all at once. And yet, of course, uh, all things are possible. Right? Just because you get a windfall does not mean you are destined to use it stupidly. You're not destined to gulp it down. It's just it's a possibility. It's a higher possibility than if you earn it over time. Um, <clears throat> let me move on then to 2017. Food, uh, food gained by fraud tastes sweet, but one ends up with a mouth full of gravel. There's a danger in wealth in that it can make you dishonest. You can be a fraud. You can get it in different ways. Money has the power to corrupt your integrity. Wealth can make you lose your integrity. Wealth has the power to corrupt and corrode you. You might have honesty. You might have great character. And then suddenly you get a lot of money. Or you find that, wow, I, I, I've got it rich. It's remarkable how people make compromises. Um, this is why the, the Proverbs talk over and over again about the weights and measures. They didn't have a standardized measure like we did. And so people could, you know, if you're dishonest, you might, well, use dishonest scales and force somebody to pay more for the grain or for their food than they, uh, they should. Um, and, and you just go to a store. You just go to a grocery store and look at how many things say they're 100% authentic. How many things tell you? Don't worry, this is, this is really good. You think of dishonesty in advertising. Kind of business practices that, that seek to scam those who are naive. Uh, money uh, has the ability to make us dishonest. Has the ability to make us dishonest people. Um, Eleven twenty-six. Next point. People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. This describes somebody in a time of scarcity. You know, I remember uh, watching during Hurricane Katrina. Uh, I was in college and I had friends and family in, in the, the region of New Orleans. And I, I watched people not just looting, not just taking things from stores, but I watched folks then sell them online or sell them to others. I heard stories of people you know, charging exponentially more when, uh, when there's, not much, there's not much food. That's illegal. There's a man who holds on to his stuff to raise the price higher. Again, that's technically not, not wrong. I mean, technically, you can charge in a capitalist society. You can charge what you want to for it. Uh, but you're, well, you're cursed. The proverb says, people curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. This is the danger of acting as if the bottom line is the most important thing. This is the danger. If I can, I shouldn't say this. Y'all may tar and feather me but I will say it, I feel like I have to. This is the danger of assuming that the ultimate thing in life is a free market economy. It's not the ultimate bottom line. It's not money. There's a deeper bottom line. And the deeper bottom line is that God has given, what you all said before, 
today. God has given this to us as stewards. We are to be stewards. There's another bottom line. And this points to the fact, this, this proverb here points to the fact that you're not simply out for yourself, but the way you handle your money affects the community. It affects other people. This is behind the constant call of Scripture to be generous in your dealings. It's why the very next proverb, 2014, it's no good, it's no good, says the buyer, then goes off and boasts about the purchase. Money doesn't just make you dishonest. It can also make you a ruthless person. You can become ruthless in the way you deal with people. You can become ruthless. You can, um, well, some might say this is simply sharp dealing. You say, you, you, you act like it's not a good thing. You, you act like what you're about to buy, the car is a real clunker. You pretend, when you go to the used car lot, you pretend to say, I don't really want that one. So you get a better deal. I mean, isn't that just clever bargaining? Isn't that just wise, sharp business practice? Well, what we have in this case is a heartless individualism, a heartless idea that says, my money is worth more. I don't care about other people. This is actually the complaint Christ gives against the Pharisees. Luke 20, 47, what do they do? They devour widows' houses. We are called to not take advantage of people who are particularly vulnerable when it comes to our money. But money has the power, it has the ability, it is so seductive, it makes you think that acting ruthless is a good and godly thing. I'm just trying to get most I can. I'm just trying to care for people. I'm just trying to be you know, somebody who, who's not taken it in. I, I, don't want, I, I don't want to be a sucker. The Bible says Christ was, in a sense, a sucker. He got the raw end of the deal, from our point of view. He died. And yet, uh, of course, he is honored and glorified by God. Money has the power to make you think that ruthlessness is normal. Comment on that. That's it. Well, I'm sure it's Hurricane Ian. I'm sure people are doing that right now in Florida. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Moving on then. Uh, 11.4. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. I think one of the really critical things about money that we forget is that wealth can distract you. It can make you distracted. Wealth can distract you from what really matters. It can absorb your time. It can absorb your energy. It can absorb, absorb all you have so that you're not thinking about what is most important. Nobody on the deathbed, nobody in the hospital bed when they're dying says, you know what I wish I had more of? Time at the office. You know what I, what I really regret in my life? I only worked 45-hour weeks instead of 50-hour weeks. I really wish I could work more in life. No, when you're in your deathbed, you ask questions like, what have I amounted to? What am I living for? Am I living for God or am I living for myself? Wealth blinds you to judgment day questions. Wealth blinds you to eternity. It sucks you into the cycle. I've earned more, I'll spend more. I gotta, uh, well, now I'm spending more, I have to earn more. And then you have to work even harder. It has the power to make you far too busy with things that are not that important. It is, of course, what Christ says. So much of what we have in Proverbs is what Christ says later on. 
Luke 12, if you store up things for yourself, you're a fool. You're not rich towards God in the things you can't lose. So have you seen that in people's lives? Have you seen that in your own life? The power of money to distract you from the big questions. The way of focusing on worrying about it, being anxious about it. Does that distract you from God, from others? I think, that, I think it certainly can. I'm sure if we had time, we, I would, you could tell us all sorts of stories. Um, this is Jim's point that he's been making. It's a good point. 28.11, this next point. The rich are wise in their own eyes. The rich are wise in their own eyes. One who is poor and discerning sees how deluded they are. What can wealth make you? Wealth can make you proud. And by extension, blind. Money can make you proud and blind. Not just distracted, but you can think, I've done so much. I've worked so hard. I got this nest egg. I've sorted up. I've been smart. I've worked hard. I've been in the right place. But if you think about it, there are a billion factors outside of your control that control your money. I've already mentioned a few. You're not the Federal Reserve. Just thinking on a very hard, hard, it's a very horizontal earthly plane. There are plenty of economic factors that with all of your work, you cannot control. And so what do we do? We become wise in our own eyes. You put too much faith in your instincts. You stop listening to other people. Making money does not make you a great judge of character. Just think of all the rich people who are, are so self-centered. You, you watch the, the shows. Not that I do this a lot. I don't like watching, but maybe y'all do. You watch the shows, and they go into the houses, and they talk to the people. And they're so happy to show you their new you know, swimming pool or, or whatever, the bowling alley, and um, they have in their home. And, and you just see this person is so self-absorbed. They're so obsessed with themselves. And we, we lap it up because we think that they're great people, but they're not. Bernard of Clairvaux, the old medieval thinker, theologian, said this, to see a man humble under prosperity is the greatest rarity in the world. To see a man humble under prosperity is the greatest rarity in the world. Um, the danger of wealth <clears throat> is that we tend to say, who's God? I've got all this done. Who's, who's the Lord? I've worked hard. Of course, Christ himself says in Matthew 6, from the Mount, you don't, you don't feed yourself. You don't clothe yourself. God feeds you. God clothes you. The birds don't feed themselves. God feeds them. The flowers don't clothe themselves. God makes them beautiful. God uh, is not to kind of let you just uh, do it all on your own. And of course, that's uh, even more the case spiritually. You think you've saved yourself. You'll be proud. You'll be proud. You won't receive grace. Comments, questions. When we begin to kind of uh, wrap it up here, let me go ahead and look here at the last three, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll finish that up. The wealth of the the last uh, the the second and third to last are, are paired together. That's deliberate, by the way. Uh, Ten fifteen. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. Why can wealth do all these things to us? Because it's powerful. The wealth is a fortified city. The wealth of the rich is safe and secure. In the old days, when you had a wall around a city, it was safe from the raiders. It was safe from the invaders. The rich people wanted to live inside the walled city. The poor couldn't afford to. The city dwelling was high status. But this verse does not say 
the rich live in the city. It says the wealth is the city. The wealth becomes all that they are. That's why Christ tells the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man was given all he had in this life. That's why it's called the rich man. He has no name. He has no identity beyond his money. But for the wise, the fear of the Lord is their treasure. And he is most precious. So, compare that with the next one. The wealth of the riches, they're fortified to 1811. Fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. This goes back to fantasies. What wealth does to us, it attacks not just our, our work, it attacks our imagination. It makes us think about all the ways we're going to be safe. I have this amount of money in my account. I'm, I'm set. I finally got, I can finally be okay. I've saved up this much. Or I've set aside this amount for my kids. They're going to be safe. They're going to be secure. Oh, finally, I can rest. It'll be a wall too high to scale. Money will protect you from invaders. It'll protect you from evil things. It'll protect you from what you fear. And the reality, therefore, is that uh, we don't fear God. We fear losing our money more than anything else. This is why Christ says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is a challenge to all of us. This is convicting to me as I prep for it, and uh, I hope it's as well a little bit convicting to all of us. Um, What breaks the stranglehold that money can have on us? Yeah. The gospel, particularly the generosity of God in giving Jesus Christ to us. This is why when Paul talks about money, it's interesting he talks about the one who was rich. And we sing at Christmas time, right? Thou who was rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake became poor. Or if you're cool and use the old language, became as poor. It's not the point. The point is that God in his wealth, God who owns everything, became poor for our sake, that he might give us who are poor in spirit all the riches of heaven. When you begin to grasp that, all of these things that wealth could make you, you begin to see as the danger. All these things that wealth could make you, suddenly you can become a generous-hearted person, someone who is not so attached to their money, they can't give it away. So I'm afraid we have to stop there. Um, but um, I, I guess I'll, I'll just close with this, this last proverb. The generous will their, themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. 22.9. The generous will be blessed, they share their food with the poor. It's a very basic statement, generosity. The Bible is far more concerned about what you do with what you have than if you have a lot or a little. It's far more concerned about the, the way you look at God in relation to your wealth than what your savings account or what your 401k has. Yeah, I can go on further, but um, anyway, a last comment or questions? All right. Uh, Jim, why don't you pray for us, and then we'll uh, go and have some donuts. Thank you.